0: during worship that you saw or wanted to share?
1: It's not anything big, just in that last song, when all of us were joining in, like I just pictured us around the throne, just pouring over Yeshua. And it was just so beautiful, so moving. Like all of us just singing, you know, different things that are pouring out of our hearts. And
0: yeah, amen. that was beautiful. It's so important that we do pour out our hearts in worship. You know, we're not just here to sing a few songs and check the box and move into the next thing and hear a few words, check the box and go home. If we're not encountering the Lord, then what are we doing? Right? Do you feel a little hindered when we're singing and People around you aren't singing, and you're like, Oh, if I sing too loudly, I'll be causing a ruckus. Do you ever feel that way? Well no, <laughs> <But> no <laughs> yeah. Thanks for causing the ruckus. No. Yeah, no, you you feel it, right? That doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from from us, like our own insecurities that get in the way of us really pouring out our hearts to the Lord. But we're gonna be passionately worshiping the Lord because He's worthy. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. I know the space here changes the dynamic a little bit, especially if I think back to what it was like when we were in the home and we were all close together. Right? It does change. Maybe we need to sit a little closer together. In the mornings. I know, I know. Some people are like whatever, but everyone who's comfortable with it, do it, you know? And But, I mean, the thing is to make a joyous noise to the Lord and to just let our hearts pour out as worship. That's our desire. And I think we have a comment back here, Diego. Okay.
2: Well, well, what I was feeling during worship and stuff was this idea of just Of just letting him breathe on us. Because as we breathe and we sing, that allows him to breathe back into us. Mm -hmm. So it's this cycle of that as well, too. Because it's not just that, us just praising him, but it's also him giving life to us as well, too, and breathing life into us. So I just heard this idea of just let me breathe life into you. Let me breathe into you. Let me just give you my spirit and stuff like that. So, and just what you were saying just made it feel like it's a, it's a dance. It's a dance that the Lord wants us to have. You know, it's this ability to just worship Him and praise Him. But in the same sense, He's such a giving Father that He wants to bring life back to us too.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a real key there, Ben, that you're hitting on that. When we're engaging with Him, it is about an encounter. It's about a interaction with the Lord. And of course, he is going to fill us and we will be changed in the midst of it. That's, that's where the true worship come, comes forth. It's not just generated out of us. It's out of a response to him and his presence. Yeah. Very good. Anybody else?
3: Well, um, I feel sometimes I'm still a visitor, but I really do belong to y'all here. Um, I just wanted to burst out. And then the thought was, well, you're just wanting attention. And I'm like, well, what kind of attention is going on in heaven? And we're here not really releasing what really we want to do is burst out in praise and worship, but we're too concerned about who's around us to hear us, and we should really be having an audience of one. So I'm guilty of it. Please forgive me. So next time I come, don't judge me.
0: (laughs) That's right. All right,
3: all right, here we go. Um, This is kind of more of a personal prophetic word for you, Ben. Um, During worship, when we first started worship, I just, I feel like I have to share it. Since you said it, I'm just going to burst out with it, okay, everybody? Um, So I saw two doves landing on you. I saw one on your right shoulder and one on your left shoulder, and it was the peace of the Lord and I asked the Lord, what do the two doves mean? And on one dove it said mercy, and on, one, on the other dove it said love. And so I just believe that the Lord is resting upon you this morning with his mercy and his love. And I believe that the Lord is um, just so heavy on you and that he loves you and he has a lot to pour out on you this morning.
0: Yeah. Amen. 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 So, uh, Ben, when you were sharing earlier, it made me think of a, an encounter or a message I heard from the Lord once in prayer, and, uh, and I can't remember what the song was, but it, it came back to mind clearly, and then when Taylor was saying that, it came to mind again. So whether it's for you or for uh, all of us, really, it was, uh, we were singing a song, this years ago, and it was about singing over the Lord and singing joy, and, and I was singing to Him. And and he told me to stop, and he's and he's he's like listen to the words. And he's like because I'm singing that over you, okay. And so that's the that's it. It's the like you were saying. It's the back and the forth. It's like the Lord rejoices over His people, and He wants to rejoice over us as we rejoice over Him. And like you said, it's a dance. Yeah. That's in Zephaniah. That's in Zephaniah. Okay, in in Zephaniah, he said he will rejoice over you with joy. I think it's 317. I think it's 317. Okay.
2: Zephaniah three seventeen is what I just heard. Um, one time, it was it'd been a really long time ago, but I was singing, and the Lord had, as all you all you guys are talking about this, I remembered um, that I saw like just a a ton, like hundreds of white butterflies coming from my belly, singing. It was just like this really beautiful like gift from God that when we really, when we sing and we pour out, this just purity and beauty before him. And I don't know, I just remember the vision of it as you were, as you were speaking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking, uh, this is not just right now, but, or earlier in the service, but I was just thinking about just mortality and just how you have a certain number of years here on the earth, right? And when you look back, you never say, hey, I wish I would have just paid more. I mean, yes, there are people that could be more cautious, but sometimes you just, like, I just, you know, I was thinking about, like, career stuff or other things in life that I wish I kind of would have done, you know, a little bit more risky as in not so safe, I guess. So it's in that same thing you are saying about just, just living life so that you know that you did the best you could for the Lord, you know, and not looking back and holding back. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you for today and this opportunity to come to worship you, to encounter you, to know you more. Thank you, Lord, for the stirring that you're doing this morning in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we are, that you draw us to you, and that you fill us up as we seek your face. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would breathe life into us, Lord, that you would breathe your hope into us, bring restoration and renewal. On this, your day of rest, Lord. We bless you and we thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. So, this week's portion in Genesis is Vayera, which is, and he appeared. Okay. Now, there's a lot that goes on in this portion. <laughs> <laughs> there, 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 there's a lot in this portion, and I don't know that we're going to read a lot of it, truthfully, this morning, but we're going to kind of touch on a lot of, a lot of different things. But the first question I wanted to ask is, do you believe in miracles? Yeah. Do you believe in miracles? And Genesis 18, 14 says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Right? And so the question is, well, what is a miracle? Um, A miracle is really a divine intervention where God reaches in and changes something, whether it's within the laws of nature or not, whatever it is, it's a a change that couldn't have happened without a divine intervention. Now, there are things that we would call, we we could call a miracle that maybe didn't require uh, divine intervention, but something where it was so unlikely and so improbable that it could happen that you would call it a miracle when it does. So, one example that I would bring out is, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Miracle? Yeah, there's a few movies that I'll bring up here every once in a while, uh, and over and over again. I think Miracle may be one of them, I'm not sure if I've brought it up before, but it's a movie I really like. It's about the 1980 US hockey team, okay? And it tells the story of how the team was formed, How they were trained and the battles they faced along the way. And part of it, um, well, it's a great story of triumph in the face of huge odds that are against them. Okay? And it came at a time when the nation was struggling. It came at a time when, you know, the the decade of the 70s presented a lot of trials, a lot of difficulties, and uh, people were beginning to lose hope. And then with this hockey team, which was a bunch of of college kids coming up against the greatest team, perhaps that the world had known in hockey, (laughs) and telling the story of the battles and the victories they had along the way and how it brought hope to uh hope to the people of America it's interesting how could a hockey team bring hope you know but it did and it served as a uniting force within the country where people were getting behind the team and um at one point in the movie and i think it was in the live broadcast they're like do you believe in miracles you know <laughs> not that it was a true miracle but it was like a miracle in what was happening, and so within this, you know, I, I can't help but see parallels to what we face as a nation today, right? Where we've seen a lot of trials and challenges in the past decade. Uh, we've we've seen um, division. We've seen people losing hope. We've seen uh, challenges and disappointments. And we, we face what I would call a crisis of confidence. And if you know what I'm talking about, the crisis of confidence, I'm referring back to a speech that uh, President Carter gave back, I don't know what year he gave it in, but it was sometime in the late 70s. Okay? And, and uh, so I wanted to read a little bit of his speech here. So I'm just going to take excerpts from this. What he wrote or what he said is after listening to the American people, I've been reminded again that all the legislation in the world can't fix what's wrong with America. So I want to speak to you first tonight about a subject even more serious than energy or inflation. I want to talk to you right now about a fundamental threat to American democracy. The threat is nearly invisible in ordinary ways. It's a crisis of confidence. It's a crisis that strikes the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. We can see this crisis in the growing doubt about the meaning of our own lives and in the loss of a unity of purpose for our nation. The erosion of our confidence in the future is threatening to destroy the social and the political fabric of America. The confidence that we have always had as a people is not simply some romantic dream or a proverb in a dusty book that we read just on the 4th of July. It's the idea which founded our nation and has guided our development as a people. Confidence in the future has supported everything else, public institutions and private enterprise, our own families, and the very Constitution of the United States. Confidence has defined our course and has served as a link between generations. We've always believed in something called progress. We've always had a faith that the days of our children would be better than our own. Our people are losing that faith, not only in government itself, but in the ability as citizens to serve as the ultimate rulers and shapers of our democracy. And as a people, we know our past and we are proud of it. Our progress has been part of the living history of America, even the world. We always believed that we were part of a great movement of humanity itself called democracy, involved in the search for freedom, and that that belief has always strengthened us in our purpose. But just as we are losing our confidence in the future, we are also beginning to close the door on our past. So when I read this, I see so many parallels to what we face today. And this is exactly where the enemy wants to lead us, is into a place of despair rather than hope. Because out of a place of despair, you lose your voice, you lose your will to move forward. And when you do that, you become weak, right? And so, what are we gonna listen to are we going to believe in the God who nothing is too difficult for and trust in him and look to him as our hope? Or are we going to look to man and its frailty? Right. There's within that there's a couple of questions. Do you believe more in the power of man to hold people captive or do you believe in the power of God to set them free? Do you believe more in the power of dark, force, dark forces to destroy, or do you believe in the power of God to renew? In some ways, I would say that, many ways, I would say our nation needs a miracle. I would say beyond that, even the body of believers needs a miracle, or at least a breakthrough. At a minimum, a breakthrough. We need the hand of God to come in and to dispel the darkness and to give us a renewed hope, to set our feet on a solid rock. So within this aspect, this hope is available to us. We have to see it, okay? And part of that uh, is going to come from the victory that the Lord brings. You know, we were talking this morning about our interaction with him and how he meets us and he fills us up. And it's a dance. We need him to fill us so that we can praise. because we can't just praise on our own. We can try, and it's good. We can actually step out in faith, even when we don't feel it, and meet the Lord because he's there and ready. But sometimes we need to see things in the Spirit Last night, I got a call uh, from from a friend who very few of you would know. But he called and and was sharing with me that that his wife was struggling with depression, like that had just come on recently, and that uh, she was feeling like her prayers were not breaking through, like they would just bounce off the walls, and the Lord wasn't hearing her, and it was all empty, right? And he said that he went in in prayer for her, And what he saw was his wife with leeches on her, like that they had been cast on her by uh, demonic forces. And so these leeches were on her, right? Well, what do leeches do? They suck out blood. What is blood? Life is in the blood, okay? Now, this was all seen in the spirit, right? Now, she didn't really have physical leeches on her, so these leeches were spiritual, pulling out the spiritual life of his wife, giving her the loss of will and of hope, right? And so the recognition that this is a spiritual attack was key, right? And so I encouraged him to uh, pray and gave some things, uh, some activities for them to do. And, I, and Shabbat was just about to start, so I was like, well, I've got to go. And... Uh, and so we got out and I said, but I'm going to pray for y'all. And so I hung up the phone. And then a moment or two later, I start to pray. And when I started to pray, I was overwhelmed by the Spirit. So much that I was almost out of control. <laughs> it was such a flood and I prayed in tongues for like five minutes. It was just, and it was like I was on the verge of just utter weeping. It was, but this was not of me, right? So, what was this, right? This was, uh, I, I don't think it, well, I think it was certainly for them that there was breakthrough and things happening in the moment. But I feel like looking back on it, that there was more to it. That God's waiting and ready to pour out his spirit on his people who will pray. and and that he will move in those prayers to break the forces of darkness that are sucking the life out of the body of believers and out of this nation. The time for the break is now, and the time for the church is to arise and to take her place. So when we hit something this week where we're not feeling good about how things are going, we're starting to lose a little bit of hope about what are the promises that the Lord has laid down, That's the enemy coming to take the joy and to take the hope and to take your power that you can walk in to bring meaningful change in this country. So right now is the time for us to arise and to renew our hope and to take hold of the King of Kings who is reigning and ruling from heaven above so that we can see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Because nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Scripture says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and what the Lord has said and what he has given, for he will meet us and he will encounter us. It's his desire to bring breakthrough, to break chains. It's like when he talks about, it's just not the fast that I've commanded, to break every yoke, right? We need to be fasting, right? We need to be fasting and praying and seeing every yoke broken, that we can walk in the goodness of the Lord, and to see his goodness in the land of the living. Now, when I was thinking about the verses of anything being too difficult for the Lord, there's one from Jeremiah 32 that I, or Jeremiah 32, 27, that I've quoted from time to time. And I was like, oh, I'm going to quote that today because it says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? It's like, yeah. <laughs> right? But this morning I was like, you probably ought to read the context of this chapter. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go read the context of this chapter. So I went to Jeremiah 32. In Jeremiah 32, I read it and said, I'm not quoting that verse. (laughs) 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 And then later on, it was like, nope, I'm still supposed to quote that verse. I just need the right attitude. (laughs) So, Jeremiah 32. Now we know Jeremiah 31, right? We got the new covenant and God's going to pour out his spirit and give us a new heart and new, whew, right? It's exciting, right? But then there's Jeremiah 32. And Jeremiah 32, the Babylonians are besieging Jerusalem and God has said that he's going to turn Jerusalem over to the attackers. But That's not the full story. Yeah, that's part of the story. So what God does, Jeremiah is in prison because he has uh, correctly prophesied that yes, this destruction is coming and Zedekiah really didn't like it because it didn't sound good to his ears so he threw Jeremiah in prison, said let's see how you like that if you don't change your tune. But what happens then is the Lord tells him, hey, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and says your relative is coming to ask you to buy some property because you have the right of redemption. And then the person shows up and Jeremiah's like, okay, well this is confirmation from the Lord that this is from him. And so he gets his witnesses and he redeems the land, even though he knows the land is about to be taken. But he buys the rights to it, right? Because within it there's a promise that if God's saying you're to buy this land which is yours, you have the right of redemption, it belongs to you, even though it's about to be lost, it will be restored. Right? So even though hope looks like it's gone, like it's all done, it's not. Because God had His plans and His purposes that were going to endure beyond what the current situation looked like. right? So, um, so He redeems the land and then in Jeremiah 32, 16 through 20. Jeremiah says, After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day. So Jeremiah is speaking about the power and might of God and saying, okay, I've done what you've asked and I'm trusting you to bring through what you've said is going to happen. So carrying on in, in verse 25. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. And then jumping forward to verse 36. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for their uh, that they may let's uh, let's see, let's see um, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant, that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them. in in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying, it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given to the hands of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. So within this, again, there was the promise of restoration. There was a promise of God restoring the fortunes, that his plans and his intentions were for good, and that he always has a reason for what he does. So, you know, you have this picture where it didn't look like there was hope, but there, there was hope because of the promises of God. And in our portion in of this week, we see a lot of the same kind of themes that, that take place. For example, you have these, these hopeless situations, right? Five cities were bound for destruction and all that was in them. Sarah was, ba- was still barren, right? She was still barren. Then, after the promise, she was abducted. And then, later on, we see the promised seed. Isaac was bound on the altar and the knife was raised. His life about to be offered up. And then in the Haftarah, we see lenders coming for the woman's children who had been widowed and didn't have any money. And then we see the Shunammite woman whose son had died. Right? So in all these scenarios, things looked bleak. It didn't look like there was a way out. It didn't look like there was hope of any kind of a future. But what, was, what, <laughs> what we found in each one is that it's not over until it's over. You know, it's not over until God's through. And he shows that it's never too late, that he can bring life even from the dead. So even if something looks dead, doesn't mean it's dead. Because it's not over yet. We used to have a God that it's nothing, nothing is too difficult for. And in this case, you know, if we looked at each of those scenarios, God used it for good. So out of the five cities that were bound for destruction, God pulled Lot out and rescued Lot's life. And in the midst of that, in the midst of saving Lot, one of the small cities was spared, Zoar,
3: right?
0: At least for a time, okay? At least for a time it was spared, and then, but, but Lot was preserved. And then from Lot came descendants that were of the line of Messiah. Yeah, we're going to be careful with this one. No, but, but they, the, the, of those offspring came two people that were part of the line of Messiah. You had Ruth and Naamah, okay? Ruth. Uh, married Boaz, just a few generations before Yeshua was born. And then you've got um, Nehemiah, who was married to Solomon, and through whom came Rehoboam. Okay? So, fairly important, right? That Lot would be spared and would continue on. And then we see, even though Sarah was abducted, she was rescued. Even though she was barren, God restored her youth, such that she would conceive. Right? And then, even though Isaac was bound on the altar, his life was redeemed. Right? The widow who was provided for was provided for. And the Shunammite woman's son was resurrected. So all of them had redemption. All of them were turned for good, even though the enemy intended all these things for evil to destroy. God could bring the renewal. So um, I do wanna go to 2 Kings, because these stories are powerful. In 2 Kings 4, one through seven, we read the story of, of the widow. The scripture says, Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, "What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house?" And she said, "Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil." Then he said, "Go, borrow vessels at large for, your, for yourself, from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons, behind you and your sons, and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Right. So the beauty of this was God's provision above and beyond the initial request. The initial request was, My sons are going to be sold into slavery. Help me. And so God says, Okay, I will redeem your sons, and you're going to have more to live on, right? Through the abundant provision. Yeah, you always could ask, Why if she gotten more jars? What if she gotten more? If she had known what was going to happen, I wonder. But maybe she got all that she could, all that was ordained, right? Sorry, it's just a side question. Right? But what it was is still, Elisha didn't um, call for a genie. <laughs> you know what I mean? He didn't, he didn't just say, boom, it's here. He said, okay, here's what you're going to do you're going to take what the Lord's given you, and you're going to go and you're going to receive from those around you, and God's going to fill it full. So He's going to take what, you've, what, you, what He's given you and what you're doing with the command and how you're partnering to fill you full, right? Yeah, yeah. it's, it's an aspect of our active participation, whether it's in worship or whether it's in just our faithfulness to do what God has said to do and, letting, and then still leaving it up to him because this was a miracle. There was nothing that uh, Elisha or this woman could have done to make that oil happen, right? That was a miracle of the Lord, but it was their faith it was Elisha's hearing and her faith to go and then for God to fill full. Right. And another aspect of this is her husband who had passed away. Um, I can't remember who traditionally it is, but it's a, a prophet. Um, I believe he was involved with hiding uh, hiding other prophets at one point to save their lives. but. Anyway, he was rewarded for his faithfulness even after he had passed on. His blessings poured out on his children similar to how Lot was redeemed out of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the faithfulness of Abraham, which is in Genesis 19. But okay, so then going forward, uh, the story of the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4 as well, starting in verse 14. So, Elisha... Uh, when he would pass through this city, this woman uh, would care for him. She gave him a place to live, would give him food uh, because she recognized him as a man of God and gave him honor. And so at some point, Elisha was like, well, what can we do for this woman to reward her for her faithfulness? And that's where we pick up in verse 14. He said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. When he had called her, he stood in the doorway, or she stood in the doorway. Then he said, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. When the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. He said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It is well. She said, Shalom said, Shalom, it's well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, there is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, it is, well, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I, did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him, and if any man salutes you, do not answer him." And lay my staff on the lad's face. The mother of the lad said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. Then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face. But there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him, The lad has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him and the lad sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her and when she came in into him he said, Take up your son then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and she took up her son and went out so he on child? that's what i gather yeah but he he prostrated himself on the child's what the text would suggest but within this story there's so many aspects right there's the faithfulness that she of how she served elisha and how she received a reward, right? But then went through the hardship of losing a child. And in the midst of her great distress, she's telling people, shalom, it's well. Even though she was grieved, right? Because when she got to Elisha, she fell at his feet. And Elisha says, she's grieved. You know, give her, give her some space here. So, it would have been very easy for her to have just given up when her when her child died. And said, Well, it's just I guess this was the Lord's will. Right? But in the midst of her grief, she didn't lose hope. She still went to where she to the place where she could find hope, right? She went to the one who had given the promise and called out for the promise to be restored. And so then, and then she was persistent with Elisha too, because Elisha says, Gehazi, go go in my place. And she's like, I'm not leaving you. You're coming with us, you know? (laughs) And so, so he goes, right? And he has to press in, because when he first went, it wasn't like he walked in and said, Child, arise, which that's what Yeshua did, right, to the, the girl who had passed. But Elisha goes in and he's praying and he's doing everything he knows to do and he's not seeing the answer. So he packs up and leaves. No, he doesn't pack up and leave, right? He goes back and he prays and he intercedes further. And then he goes up and continues an intercession for the child and the child is revived. Right? So the players in this story didn't give up hope. He laid
3: everything out. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, as you said, he, he laid everything out as he prostrated himself. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and through that, we saw the promise restored. But it, again, once again, it took perseverance, it took confidence, and not a uh, kind of a dismay or a giving up or a losing of hope, even yet there was grief, right? Because grieving is not a lack of hope. Grieving is a natural response. It's something that we do go through. But do we grieve with despair? Or do we grieve and yet still have a hope in the God who saves, in the God who hears our prayers, the God who answers? We have a hope that is not of this world. We have a hope that's not of this world. So it takes active participation, though. And, you know, just like in the Psalms, you know, you read the Psalms and what do you see? You see David pouring out his heart. And he declares the goodness of God. And then he tells God how troubled he is. And then he says, even yet, I will hope in the Lord. That's really what Jeremiah did, too. We read in Jeremiah 32, he's like, okay, I acted in faith in God. You are the God who redeems. You brought the children of Israel out. You are awesome, but yet I see the land's supposed to go. Right? And then he gets encouragement right? in God's promises. And so, in whatever course we are in life, you know, whether it's individually, corporately, nationally when God lays out a promise and he's doing a good work there's there's going to be opposition right because the enemy wants to rise up and to thwart everything that's why Sarah's abducted after the promise that she'll have a child because that could thwart her chance of bringing forth the seed right Yeah, so we we see there are challenges on the way, but we also see that God is sovereign and that he can bring the way out. Now, we'll go to uh, Genesis 22. We'll read a little bit about our portion today. (laughs) In Genesis 22, we have the the story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, "'Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, "'and we will worship and return to you.' "'Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering "'and laid it on Isaac his son, "'and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. "'So the two of them walked on together. "'Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, "'My father,' and he said, "'Here I am, my son.' "'And he said, "'Behold the fire and the wood, "'but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?' "'Abraham said, "'God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son.' "'So the two of them walked on together.' Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mouth of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sands, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So, the test of all tests, right? This is not what a good father does. <laughs> At least it's not what we think of, right? Except when God has a higher purpose and a plan for it. Now, on the way to carrying out God's command, according to tradition, there were three, there were three trials that Abraham and Isaac faced along the way. There were you know, like essentially three, three additional tests. And according to these, uh, this, the traditional story here is that the Satan came, the adversary came to try to get Abraham to sway and go from his way. And the first time he appeared as an aged man, came to Abraham and said, this is, this is lunacy. What are you doing to offer up your son and tried to get Abraham to sway from God's command? Surely God wouldn't command you to do this, but Abraham recognized it as a, as a temptation of the enemy and he rebuked the adversary. And then the adversary came and cloaked himself as a young man and came to Isaac and said, your old man's lost it. You know, he's about to kill you. You need to save yourself and flee. Don't, don't go along with this. But Abraham recognized what was going on and once again rebu- re- rebuked the adversary and he and Isaac remained united. And then as they're going along now, the adversary became a stream across the way that they were to walk to where they, it was too high for them to cross and continue on their way. And Abraham recognized that the stream had not been on this, on this road before and realized it was from the enemy to impede their path. So he rebuked it and again the enemy fled. And so Abraham and Isaac were able to continue on on their journey to go to the place where God would show them that the offering could be made. Now, of course, this is a traditional story, right? Did it happen? I don't know, but it gives us a, it's an interesting teaching, especially when you consider that Yeshua, as he was on his path, coming on his mission to go and be the redemption of mankind to offer himself up according to his father's will, he encountered the adversary in the wilderness and had three temptations. And in those three temptations, he recognized the folly in it, quoted the word, and rebuked the adversary, and the adversary fled. And Yeshua was able to continue on to carry out his mission. So here you see the same story. In both cases, it's the promised seed on his way with the destiny of redemption and restoration on a plan that, to the eyes of man, would look like foolishness, would look like loss. But to God, it was the ultimate redemption. Because in his hands, nothing's impossible. And in Hebrews 11:17 17 through 19, the scripture says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So Abraham trusted that God was able to do anything, even bring back life from the dead. He'd done it before, and he would do it again. Actually, in this case, he hadn't done it before. Elisha was able to see that, right? Yeshua was able to see that. And Yeshua offered himself up in full confidence that God was able to raise him from the dead by the power of his spirit. And he did, right? So within all of this, there's a call for us to be active in our faith, to be walking it out, to not lose hope along the way, even when things look bleak, even when it doesn't look like things are going your way, or you say, I don't see how this works out. The answer is to go to the Lord, to bring it to him, bring the promises to him, recall his goodness, fast and pray and seek him because he is a just judge and he is faithful to keep his promises. A few verses from the aspect of our hope that we have, right? In Psalm 27, Something we read fairly regularly during the month of Elul. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Right? The Lord's our hope. And then in Psalm 5611, Actually, I'll start in verse 10. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And one more. We'll jump over to Isaiah 12. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although, although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away. "'and you comfort me. "'Behold, God is my salvation. "'I will trust and not be afraid. "'For God the Lord is my strength and my song, "'and he has been my salvation. "'Therefore, you will joyfully draw water "'from the wells of salvation. "'And in that day, you will say, "'Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, "'make known his deeds among the peoples. "'Make them remember that his name is exalted. "'Praise the Lord in song, "'for he has done excellent things.' Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So we'll endure, we'll persevere, we'll trust in God, and we'll put our hope in Him that we may see His goodness. And so again, I'll go back to the questions I asked earlier. Do you believe in the power of man to hold people captive, or do you believe in the power of God to set them free? Do you believe more in the power of dark forces to destroy or more in the power of God to renew? So as we go about our week and the coming weeks ahead, when we look at the future of our families, of our congregation, of the body of believers, of our nation, our trust is to to be put in God and it's an active trust where we pursue the Lord and in faith and in hope Call out to him, trusting in his goodness to reward righteousness, that he might find however many righteous need be found in America, that his purposes can go forth and be established. If it was 50 for, you know, if it was 10 for Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the surrounding cities, I don't know what it is for America, but I know there is a praying remnant in America. I know there are people who are seeking his face and fasting and in prayer. And as we're doing this, we need to be binding the forces that come against us to suck out our spiritual life, for they do not have the right to take that from us. Right? So we need to see in the Spirit, we need to call it out, and we need to press into the Lord and see the move of his Spirit, the fresh filling of his Spirit in power to open up the heavens, that the gates would be lifted up, and that the King of glory may come in and fill us full. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you wanted to share? Uh, we have back here Brett. Oh, I just wanted to share a text I'd sent Chris uh, yesterday. Um, I just wanted to say, I said I sent him, keep the faith, Chris. Uh, the corruption will be exposed. It's going to turn out okay because we have repented and prayed and turned to the Lord and voted in obedience. It's in the Lord's nature to act in response to our responding to him. And I just, um, you know, while we were, you know, praying and worshiping in the time after, we talked about how, like, our worship, in our worship to him, our worship to him is a response to what he's done and who he is, and, and we were talking about him responding to us, and I just, I don't know. I think that that's, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's one of the things we should also be doing is worshiping, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I think that's kind of a picture of that. Yeah, amen. Great things happen in
3: worship. Amen. I was thinking of the uh, people that we just read about and how faith fulfilled the promise. But the promise had to be believed in because it took a miracle for it to be fulfilled. And so I was thinking miracles are his promises and his promises are his miracles or his pathway to performing miracles. But the bottom denominator is faith so that we can see those miracles come to pass mm-hmm. and, the, and those promises come to pass. So when God gives us a promise, does that mean he's putting us in a position to be ready for a miracle to occur?
0: Mm. Amen. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, we have to be walking in that faith. I
2: just keep going back to Elisha and just the idea of just, you know, of laying himself out over the boy. It just makes me sit there and say sometimes how many times in my own life do I not lay everything out and stuff like that on something that you know needs to be done you know what am I holding back from really letting the Lord just really take over and just I don't know it's just one of those things where it's just made me really start thinking about that because at the end of the day just the, the ability to just say God just take everything and just lay it out and stuff like that is just a really crucial thing that Sometimes we just get burdened, but to just, uh, to do, but once we do that, once we lay it all out, once we literally give it over to the Lord, how he just moves mountains and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So. Amen. Amen.
0: When
1: I was listening, I was listen, uh, correlating what you were saying about the promises and, um, Going back to Hebrews it talks about how um that they without faith is impossible. Please God. Anyone who comes before him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who uh seek him. So he rewards, like he says, you gotta that's part of the, the package. Is that you reward he you gotta believe that he rewards you, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like do all these things, go through all the suffering just so you can not in suffering or not, whatever it is, you know. It's not for no purpose. There's a reward, you know. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, I just keep, in my own life, I've kind of been thinking, you know, God's got promises for you. But then I'm not always thinking, hey, what's my step in faith to, to actually bring it out, mm-hmm. feeble or not, you know? Right. So, so it's good. It's great to believe something like he has promises for you, but what are you doing to help bring it to pass? Anyways, that's just for me. Like Abraham, whenever he had the kid through the servant, right? I think that was still faith. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know. Anyways, but whatever the thing is that he's telling you, or he's giving you as a promise, just
0: what he, even if it's small, it's faith, and he's going to reward it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really, really good point. Is that, you know, God gives us promises, and then He expects us to act in faith according to the promise, right? As opposed to just sit back and say, "He said it's going to happen, so I guess it's going to happen," right? Because and this was something else that I would thought about uh, within the active participation aspect, is that so often I'll hear, you know, in these discussions of maybe things aren't going right or things aren't looking good and all that, so often hear, well, in the end we win, you know. And in some ways it's like, yeah, that's good, but also I really don't like it. and And so... Because if the in the end we win is like, I don't worry about it. It's all going to work out fine. Then you say, really? Is, is that how, is that how faith works? Is that we just sit back and say, okay, everything's going to be fine? What give up in the yeah. It's, yeah, what's, what do you do? What do you, and, and that, that's part of it. Like the idea of in the end we win should be an encouragement that our sacrifice is worth the effort that this is not in vain, whatever it is that we're pouring into, right? Because in the end, we win. That gives you the strength to say, okay, I'm going to go and take that mountain. Because in the end, we're going to win. And whether we win right now or whether it's in the future, this is part of the victory, right? But it's an active faith and an active participation. So he's, the Lord has called us into his family, into his kingdom as a kingdom of priests, to minister, and he's also given us authority as his ambassadors to go and to carry out his decrees, right? To speak words of life. Life and death is in the tongue, right? So do we speak out life? Do we declare good, or do we give space for wickedness to run rampant and say, well, in the end we win? No, in the end we win. Let's go, right? (laughs) So... Let's pray. Yeah. So, Lord, we love you. We bless you and thank you for your goodness. We thank you that in the end we do win. And that's an encouragement for us, Lord, to come in, to partner with you, to move in faith according to your promises, trusting in you to bring about your promises, Lord. For it's by your might and your power, your mighty outstretched arm, that your promises are fulfilled Thank you, Lord, that you meet us, that you encounter us. Lord, that you fill us full, fill us full. We ask for that now, Lord, that you would breathe on us a fresh breath of your spirit, that you would renew our hope, that you would tear off every leech that seeks to take um, our spiritual life, that seeks to discourage us, Lord, that we would have renewed eyes and that our minds would be renewed, that we would move in power and in love and in authority to carry out your will here on the earth. We thank you for your goodness. We trust in your goodness, and we give you glory in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member, and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platforms. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood,
3: Texas.